All right, let's get to the Word. Uh, open your Bibles, if you have them, to John uh, chapter 8. We'll start our reading at verse 3. Uh, it will also be on the screen. I'll be reading from the New Living Translation. You know, this is the second week of our Christmas series entitled Discovering Jesus, the Great I Am. In the Gospel of John, uh, Jesus uh, declares seven different times using the language I Am. We're going to look at five of those declarations that gives us insight into who he is as we work our way over the course of the next few weeks. Thank you for standing to uh, honor the reading of God's Word. John chapter 8, beginning at verse 3, New Living Translation. As he, Jesus that is, was speaking, the teachers of religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They put her in front of the crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to Stoner, what do you say? They were trying to trap him into saying something he could, they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down, wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and said, all right. But he, the one, let the one who has never sinned throw the first throne. Then he stooped down again and rose in the dust. When the accusers, everybody say accusers, heard this, they slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest, until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. Then Jesus stood again and said to the woman, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No. Lord, she says. Jesus says, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And then the focus is verse 12. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to, you won't have to, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. And there is the reading. People God say amen. Amen. Praise God. Please be seated. Lord, we use these same words, I do, when I pray before each message. It's easy for them to become ritualistic. But you know I mean it. In this preaching moment, take this broken piece of flesh that you know so intimately well. Despite all of the ways I'm inadequate, work a miracle. Breathe on me. Fill me with your spirit. And bring forth a word. We need a word that will transform, enlighten, Encourage, strengthen, heal, save your people. Bless your people, including the one preaching. And we ask this in the strong name of he who is the light of the world, Jesus the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Shout this subject with me, if you will. An illuminating experience. Shout it. 
one way to have a full encounter with Jesus Christ is to study about Christ in the Gospels. The Gospels are the first four books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We refer to them as the Gospels because their entire focus is on announcing the joyful news that something historic took place that changed the world and life when Jesus was born, that God has done something for us in Christ, and it is joyful good news. Now, the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, mainly share with us the same basic body of stories about Jesus. But they organize those stories differently because they're not simply trying to teach us stories, but rather they're preachers, they're teachers. They are, in fact, proclaiming the gospel. They have a theology in mind that they're trying to communicate. So those first three gospels, uh, they deal with the same basic set of stories, but differently. The third, the fourth gospel, John, uh, talks about some of those stories that the synoptic gospels refer to, first three, but adds some stories that are not found in those other gospels. This story about the woman caught in adultery is one of those stories. Now, John also, because his work is theologically focused, has some themes that are not as apparent in the other gospels. And the theme that I want to focus on today that's throughout the book of John is captured in the word light. Everybody say light. You'll see it from the beginning to the end. As a matter of fact, in the first 12 chapters, John mentions light 25 times. And he usually does it in relationship to Jesus, and he usually does it in contrast to darkness. For example... In chapter 1 of John, chapter, four, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, In him, meaning Jesus, is light, and the light is the light of people. And the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. Or in chapter 3, he writes, uh, after he talks about what it means to reject Jesus, he writes in verse 19, This is the verdict, that light has come into the world. But people prefer darkness because their deeds are evil. Or in chapter 9, verse 5, he writes these words. Jesus says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. The suggestion of darkness in these contexts is to suggest that one is lost or confused. Or darkness is the place where sin and evil thrives, darkness. But Jesus says, I am the light. In this verse 12 of this chapter, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, and if anyone believes in me, uh, he no longer has to walk in darkness. There's a distinction here between this chapter and chapter 9. In chapter 9, he's referring to his ministry when he says, as long as I'm in the world. I'm the light of the world. But here, I believe he's referring to an eternal disposition that he is no matter what. I want to explore that with you for a few moments. Are you guys listening? Is this interesting to you? I want to help you as you start thinking about studying the scriptures. All right. Now, let's look. So, so here's the deal. You've got to look at placement. Everybody say placement. 
So to understand what Jesus is saying from John's perspective, notice that Jesus says this notion about he is the light in verse 12 on the heels of the story about the woman caught in adultery. So to really understand what he means, John would say, you've got to understand the story. And if you understand the story, then you get what he means when he says, I'm the light of the world. If you believe in me, you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. So let's look at the story. The first thing that jumps out is in verse 3. This is the second day that Jesus is teaching in, the, in, the, uh, in Jerusalem, Passover. He knows the religious leaders wants to kill him. They've already decided to do so. They're just looking for uh, a good legal reason to do it. Nevertheless, he publicly teaches. And verse 3 says this. As he's speaking, the teachers of the religious law and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in front of the crowd. Now, this is a disruption. Everybody say disruption. It's not an interruption, but it is a disruption that this created chaos and pandemonium. And it was designed uh, to mess things up. Disruption. But rather than throwing Jesus off his game, Jesus takes this disruption. And by the time he finishes with it, he uses the disruption as a way to reveal to the folk he had already been talking to more about who he is. In other words, he takes the disruption, he turns it into a blackboard, and then he writes on it. Come on now. He teaches from it. Well, there's a word for you. I, I want to argue that... That life's disruption, the enemy's disruption in your normal routine, uh, that Jesus is still the kind of God who's able to take those disruptions and turn it into an experience that introduces you deeper to who he is. He can take the disruption of your marriage and teach you that he, God, is the only true faithful love that will never run out on you. <laughs> he can take the disruption of your career and with you landing in unemployment and teach you that ultimately every good and perfect gift in your life doesn't come from your boss, comes from the Father from above. Come on now. He can take the disruption of your health with you sick and teach you that really life that matters, life that lasts everlasting is not caught up in your closet full of clothes. Life that lasts, that is everlasting life, is not in how much money you got in the bank. Life that lasts. Everlasting life is not the power and influence that's in your office. Life that lasts, everlasting life is not contained in a physical physique that makes people look one way or the other. Life that lasts, everlasting life, come on now, is found only in Jesus. He'll teach us this when we're sick. 
greatest disruptions if we keep our eye on him to unveil to us some of his deepest lessons that transforms our lives. Everybody say disruptions. It's the first thing we see in the text. And then the text continues. They tongue in cheek because they don't really mean this when they refer to him as teacher. They don't mean it. They want to kill him. They threw him through this woman, drug her out, caught her in the act. She probably, maybe she has a sheet on. Maybe it's nothing. Humiliation right out there. Then they say to him, teacher, we caught this woman in the act. We know she's guilty. And the law, everybody say the law. The law of Moses says. To stoner. What do you say? Now, uh, the second point I want to reveal is that the law, everybody say law, reveals our guilt and exposes our sin. That's what the law does. Now, quickly, when we talk about sin, we're not just talking about we're talking about motives and we're talking about thoughts all embodied in the expression of sin and in this text John wants us to note that everybody in this story watch it is guilty except one I said except one do you know who the one is what's his name Jesus, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot emphasize with our weaknesses, for he was tempted in every way. Everybody say every way. Every way that we were tempted in. Yet he is without. Jesus is innocent. He's the only one innocent. The woman caught in the act. She's clearly guilty. The man who's missing. He's guilty. As a matter of fact, the Leviticus law in chapter 22, read it when you go home. The Leviticus law says that, that you are to bring both the woman and the man to be stoned. Now, I don't know why this man is missing. I will resist the temptation of arguing that because it was men who, y'all ain't listening to me. I'm going to risk, I'm going to resist that temptation. Here's what I'm, here's what I'm going to believe. I'm going to believe that what happened was they, they were looking through the window because they had to be, come on now, broke through the door, reached and grabbed the woman. But because the man was so strong, he fought his way and got away. So he thought. Everybody say, he got away. There are some brothers here right now listening to me. You think you got away. 
You've left your wife. You've left your children. And you pour all your energy into building a career and pursuing your dreams. And you forget that the Word of God declares that he who does not take care of his family is worse than an unbeliever. But since lightning hasn't flashed and, and the thunder hasn't clapped, you think you got away. There are some folk here listening to me now are watching by way of YouTube. Come on now. You're sitting by your girlfriend, not your wife. And because lightning has not flashed and thunder has not clattered and the police doesn't come because you haven't broken their law, you think, who can do anything with me? I'm going to do what I want. Can I drop a little word in here? I think God is speaking to him. I'm, I wanna, I'm, I'm a man, so I need to talk to the brothers. This is a day we need some holy men, some righteous men, some strong post men. And, 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 and let me just tell you, 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 you haven't gotten away. You're just getting by. And unless you think, you know, First Peter, uh, is it first, uh, Second Peter 3, I think, 8, puts it this way. It says, one day with the Lord is a thousand years. A thousand years is one day. And then it says, don't make this mistake of thinking that God is slack concerning his promises the way men are slack. Now, let me tell you, I like that King James Version. Here's what it means. It means don't make the mistake of thinking just because God hadn't touched you that he won't get you. Because the text goes on and says, no, 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 no. It is simply that God is long-suffering towards us because he does not want any to perish. He doesn't want you to be destroyed. He doesn't want you to die in your sin. He doesn't want you to die in the way you are. No, he wants us all to come to repentance. And he's given you grace, time to get back to repentance. Y'all need to get up and go home to your wives. While I'm here. I bet that woman, when she was standing there, about to be stoned, said, what was I thinking? What was I thinking? Because sin is false, you see. I bet she's wondering. I didn't intend to be here. I, I just liked the way he made me feel. And then it became a routine. And then a relationship. And then I became desensitized to the pain that I was causing. And I'm here. He told me he loved me. But young lady, let me ask you. If he loved you, why are you standing in front of the crowd by yourself? I, I, I was watching, I, I, I went to last the other night and watched Hunger Games. You know that movie? I watched both, part one, you know, the first one, and the second one. My wife read the book. I, I read the, I watched the movies. <laughs> and what's fascinating to me is that I'm talking about real love now. What I find to be fascinating is people keep volu volunteering for other folk who's supposed to get killed. And somebody step up, no, no, don't let them take me. That's what the part of the big theme of the movie. No, I'll take me, you know. Why is this woman standing here by herself if it's real love? Let me tell some of y'all women. 
I know he told you that she was a bad wife. But the reality is, it's not that she's a bad wife. It's that he's a no good man. I'm talking about his character. I'm talking about his character. Let me prove it. If he will cheat on the woman who bore his children, if he will cheat on the one who got him through college, if he will cheat on the one who's built this house and worked through the bills and let him spend money and mess it up and she went and helped fix it all back up, if he will cheat on her, he's going to cheat on you. So if he's not yours, guess what? He's not yours. I just thought I'd drop that in there and can't send a text. <laughs> All right, wait. So the woman is guilty. Say guilty. The missing man is guilty. Say guilty. But here's what John wants us to see. Watch this. He wants us to see because this other group, they don't know they're guilty. The religious leaders are guilty. I said motives. Everybody say motives. Sin is also motives. And so verse 6, John gives us a window into the motives. John says in verse 6, uh, they, they were trying to trap Jesus into saying something that they could use against him. I told you they already decided to kill him. They just needed a legal reason. And so how they had framed it was, if he says stone and line up with the law, that's going to turn the people against him because he has presented himself as a compassionate one. But if he says, don't stone, then he has broken the law, and we can arrest him for teaching false doctrine. We got it. But what does Jesus do? He didn't say nothing. There's a word there for somebody. Some of y'all talk too much. <laughs> Some of the stuff coming at you in your house some of the stuff coming at you on your job, you don't have to address everything. Some of it, you just need to shut your mouth. What's up? Come on, let, let God handle it. All right, all right. Jesus didn't say nothing. He just got on his knees, started writing in the dust with his finger. And then the next verse said, they insisted. They, 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 they demanded an answer. Verse 6. So finally, he got up, the text says. He says, all right. But let the one who has no sin, or who has never sinned, in other words, who has a clean heart and pure hands, throw the first stone. Then he went back to writing. And then the text says, watch it. <laughs> the accusers. Hearing this, slipped. Everybody say slipped. Here's what the image comes to my mind. You know, when I grew up in the Baptist church and people left church before they were supposed to, they do this right here. <laughs> As though the finger made them invisible. <laughs> One, beginning with the oldest. In other words, 
They were guilty. Now, here's what I like, because there's a word for leaders here in this right here. Here's what I like. Now, now when, when it says Jesus got down and wrote with his finger, you could translate the Greek there to say that he, he made a record. That's why some scholars believe that what he actually did, which was supporting so was that when he got down and started writing, he was writing names. And the names were folk, come on now, who were the religious leaders. And they were standing around him. And they thought it was hidden in the dark. Come on now. But then he wrote rabbi, and that young lady that's not his wrote that name. Come on now. <laughs> Deacon, come on now. And I saw where you were there, and I wrote that down. And so the older one got down. He saw his name first. Come on now. And he just get out. And some of the others say, I... I, my name ain't there yet, but it's coming, and I'm going. <laughs> All right, let me give you a word. This is a word for preachers like me. It's a word for elders. It's a word for deacons. Listen, we act like the folk in the text oftentimes. We condemn everybody else knowing that we live in a double life. So here is a word for elders and preachers and everybody else here and anywhere. Listen, come on now. God is saying, if you're living a double life, he's got a record. And the accountability is higher for me and the rest than the rest of y'all. Because if I mess up, I mess over all y'all. Bishop Green, who's my pastor, he tell me, he, this, this, I, I quote him because his, he drills this in the, those of us who are the preachers that are under his covering. And he said, listen, God will give you a chance to repent and recover in private. But if you don't do it in private, he'll strip you in public. But then he adds, but it's all about trying to save you. At the end of the day. This woman will prove to be grateful that those old nosy people broke into her house and brought her to Jesus because it led to her salvation. All right. Now, so then there's the crowd. Everybody say crowd. You follow me? The woman is guilty. The missing man is guilty. The Jewish, uh, the, the religious leaders are guilty. And then John wants you to know that the crowd, and he says, we're part of the crowd, the listeners, the readers, and he wants us to know we're guilty. Now, do I have to prove to any of y'all that y'all sent us? Do I? Uh, if I do it, let me suggest this. Just check your record over the last 24 months, 24 uh, hours. <laughs> All right, John 1, 8, let me put it here. I'll tell you why I'm doing this in a minute. John 1, 8 says, if anyone claims uh, to not have sin, he has deceived himself, and the truth is not in you. All right. Now, here's, here's, here's what I'm trying to get you all to see. If you don't know you're lost, you're not aware that you need a guide. And if you don't know you're sick, you're not aware that you need a physician. And if you don't know you are a sinner, you're not aware you need a Savior. All right. So let me test it. Starting on the pulpit. Anybody in here 
who over the last 24 hours or two days discovered some sin in your life, raise your hand. I'm looking to see anybody lying. I'm looking. I'm looking. <laughs> I got my hand up. You see my hand up? All right. <laughs> we just made somebody's day because somebody came in here today. They thought they were the only sinner in the building. Somebody came in here today. You thought you were the only one needed grace. You the only one. You came in here so uncomfortable. You scooted down in your table. You didn't want nobody to know your name. You were trying to see how quick can I get out of here? Cause I know he's gonna start talking about sin and he's gonna start talking about me. Rima, I don't want to go through. That's why I don't come to church anyway. But voila. You discovered just a moment ago you in good company. Come on now. Shout hallelujah. Hey, baby, we all need a Savior. We all need a Savior. All right, let me, let me, let me try to prove it because I know I got some smart, somebody been sitting here, been saved for 30 years, say so he ain't talking about me. I don't know what he's talking about. I don't. I ain't got no sin in my life. Oftentimes, God teaches us by putting in the physical realm the lessons about the spiritual realm. All right, let me prove it. Is there anybody in here who last weekend either took a bath or a shower? Raise your hand. Good. All right. All right. <laughs> All right. Now, <laughs> if you haven't taken a bath or a shower since last weekend, you don't have to raise your hand. We already know who you are. <laughs> and, and let me tell you what denial looks like. The Nile looks like, I used to do this with our teenager, God help me, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> the Nile looks like taking some cologne, come on now, you haven't bathed in a week, and you sprinkle the cologne on you, come on now. Come on. Just like your body becomes filthy, and you don't even have to go wallow in the dirt. Just like your body becomes filthy because of the waste and all that stuff coming to your pores. Your thoughts and your actions and your motives, uh, they have a way of becoming contaminated. And the scripture says they're like 50 rides. But the next verse says, watch it. The next verse says, but if you confess your sins, everybody say confess. If you will agree with God and confess your sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive you. Watch. And what? Cleanse. Oh, y'all don't hear me. Come on. Cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So listen, y'all, just like you got to take a bath every day, otherwise you stink it. The text says, come on now, if anyone who doesn't take a bath, come on now, and say they don't speak, they have deceived themselves. The truth is not in them. But if they agree, I stink it. Confess their fault. Come on now. And, 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 and Christ is faithful through the shedding of his blood to forgive us and cleanse us of all. Cleanse my mind of all. Cleanse my motive of all. Cleanse my action 
of all unrighteousness. Every day you ought to be confessing, repenting, and, in, and, and being blessed by the forgiveness and grace of God. That's how he's transforming you. So you see the point. Thank God for the law. Because it reveals our guilt and exposes our sins and helps us to all know we need a Savior. Now, the next point. Watch this. The love of Jesus reveals his grace. That's favor that you didn't earn. Grace. That's uh, strength and power to do with God what you can't do by yourself. Grace. And exposes the heart of God. Notice verse 9 and 10. Verse 9 says, the accusers, everybody say accusers. And in verse 10, when Jesus got ready, he asked the woman, where is your, where are your accusers? Well, what happened? Some of y'all, when you came in here, you brought your accusers with you. Because first of all, the enemy is the chief accuser. Secondly, for some of us, the accusers that accuse us all the time sit in our consciousness. For others, the accusers sit in the crowd around us. Uh, for those for it sits in the consciousness, some of y'all uh, uh, have been to war. You've been to uh, Vietnam. You've been to Iraq. You've been to Afghanistan. And you had to do some horrendous and horrible things in the midst of war. And you've come back and you've made your confession. But you wake up in the middle of the night in the midst of cold sweat. And the accuser keeps accusing you. Some of y'all have been police officers and firemen. And you still are. And your job is to help people. But you can't help everybody. And some folk you tried to save, you weren't able to save. And somebody had to shoot one person to keep the other folk alive. And, 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 and you've done your confessing, but, 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 but in the morning when you get up, the accuser is reminding you. Some of y'all got some show enough stuff in your closet. You got some show enough bad stuff in the trunk of your life. It's in your history, and your history is only two weeks old. Come on now. And, and it's ugly. It looks bad. But when you came in here last weekend, you gave your heart to Christ, and you said, Lord, cover me. Come on now. But, but when you left out of here, there were some accusers in your house. There were some accusers in your friendship. And when you say, I'm going to walk for Christ, they reminded you where you used to walk. And when you say, I'm going to reach high, they reminded you that you're locked down here. Come on now. When you say, I'm going to be better, they reminded you how bad you are. And telling you, you can never be. you just a hypocrite. It's the voice of the accusers. Somebody say accusers. Well, let me give you some words. Give you a word. The next time you hear the voice of the accuser, whether it's in your conscience or in the crowd, I want you to turn, I want you to tell the accuser, see my lawyer. Because 1 John chapter 2, the first two verses says, my children, I write this to you, that you do not sin. But if you should sin, we have an 
advocate. That means lawyer. Come on now. A lawyer with the Father. Then he names him. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Come on now. Who gave his atoning life. Come on. Not just for you, but for the whole world. You know what atonement means? He poured out his blood. Come on now. So the next time you hear the accuser, say, see the lawyer. And the lawyer is going to say, see my blood I shed for him. Come on now. And then the angels are going to start singing. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Come on now. And then I want you to look at the accuser and say, yes, I did it. Yes, it's in my history. Yes, I confess. Yes, I repented. Yes, I ask for forgiveness. So shut your mouth. It's all under the blood. Hallelujah. Say it with me. Say it with me. Say it's under the blood. Shout it. It's under the blood. Shout it. It's under the blood. That's how you handle the accuser. Watch it. Jesus says, he says, where's your accusers? He already know where they are because he disposed of them. Is there not one who can condemn you? Watch this. Here's where it gets deep. Here is what I call the illuminating experience. Here's where it gets deep. She says, verse 11, she says, she says, no, comma. In every translation, it's like this. No, comma. Comma means pause. Slow down. Now, she, watch this point. She could have just simply said, no, Lord. No, no, no. No, comma. She stopped. Had to think. She reflected on the experience. You know what I believe she reflected on? How she was drugged out there. Maybe in a sheet. Maybe in nothing. Her family might have been in the crowd. Her friends probably in the crowd. Come on now. Synagogue. People who should synagogue in the crowd. Everything exposed. Not just physically, but spiritually. She can't hide nothing. Her guilt is visible. It's all there. And, and, and she had watched them because in that day when a stoning was about to take place, the people were permitted to participate. So they had already started picking up their stones. And she knew that the clock was ticking. And she was just waiting. But then, remarkably, unexpectedly, without saying anything to her, because prior to this point, Jesus has not addressed her. He handled her accusers. And the fellows slipped away. And when the fellows slipped away, she started hearing, boom, boom, boom. That was the dropping of the rocks. Boom, boom, boom. That was the sound of grace. Boom, boom, boom. That was the sound of God's uh, unconditional mercy. Y'all ain't listening. Boom. Boom. Uh, here's my question. What does grace sound like in your life? And, and, and you see, she thought about all of that. 
and how he handled her accusers without speaking to her. And watch what she says. She says, no, karma, pause. Then comes the reality of illuminating experience. She concludes, Lord, capital L-O-R-D. It's not a mistake. The Greek word beneath that is karos, karos. And it shows up in multiple places. Watch it. It means, comes from a root word that means authority and power. It means that the person who I call karos, karos. Is, is the one who has redeemed me, is the one who has authority. I, I relate to him as a slave to a master. I relate to him as a servant to God. He's my kuros. All right, let's prove it. Go to, if, if you can read it in the Greek, it goes to uh, 12, uh, what is it, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. And the last part of that verse says, no one can call Jesus kuros, Lord, except the Holy Spirit. Or you go to Romans uh, 10, 9, it says, if you confess, with your mouth that Jesus is Kuros, Lord. You, come on now. And believe in your heart that God raised him, you shall be saved. So go to Philippians 2 and 11. And if you can read it in the Greek, it says, after finished saying that every knee shall bow, then it says, ultimately, that's why I'm talking to these men and these leaders, ultimately, every tongue shall confess that Jesus is what? Kuros, Lord. And so when she said no, pause. She came out of it saying, you know what? I belong to you, Lord. Here's what you've done. done. And he hadn't even said, I forgive you yet. Let me tell you. Here's what happened. Before she encountered his words of grace, she encountered his actions of grace. And because she recognized the actions... She recognized him. God is talking to somebody. Before you came to church ever, before you read your first Bible, before you heard a sermon, before you knew the name Jesus, the grace of God, the actions of God was working in your life. Come on now. Saving you and pulling you out of stuff and forgiving you and preserving you. The only way you got here, it was the actions of God. So before you heard him say, neither do I condemn you, his actions took care of your actions. Oh. All right. All right. Now here's where, here's where I finish. Kuros. Everybody say, Kuros. Lord, I belong to you. I've been bought with a price. Well, now listen. Jesus says, I don't condemn you. Watch it. Go sin no more. Or, translation, go leave your life of sin. And it's in the backdrop of that blackboard experience. He then turns to the crowd and he says, I'm the light of the world. Anyone who believes in me, you don't have to, you don't have to be lost and confused. And be a part of sin's agenda anymore. Doesn't mean that you won't sin. You're going to sin. You're going to have to get forgiveness and grace. But, you, but, but it's not your agenda. Or to put it another way. Here's what, here's what it is. Listen. You know the source of every sin? Is our ultra self-centeredness. When Adam and Eve messed up, it was because the tempter said, he's trying to keep something from you. Matthew chapter 15, verse 19, it says this. It says, out of the heart of man, 
comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, immorality, theft, lying on other folk, slander, watch it, false testimony. What he's saying, out of our ultra self-centeredness, and before she had an encounter with Christ, before he was Lord, she was Lord. She was the center of her life. That's why she got into the adultery. Because she was thinking about how she felt. She was thinking about what she needed. She was thinking about how her life was hurting. She was thinking about how she was messed over. She was thinking about, don't I deserve this? Don't, don't, shouldn't I have some good days? Shouldn't I have a man who's going to love me and take care of me? Why I have to be responsible for everything? She was the center of her world. Her values was not God's value. Her vision was not God's vision. The voice she followed was not the voice of Christ. She, she, what she wanted. I, I, that's you. You're dealing with me. You're dealing with I. Come on, it's, it's or your group. It's we against them. It's me. It's my. That's the world. That's the lens through which you look at the world. But Jesus says, but if you really know who I am, and if you really know what I've already done for you, even before you showed up to church for the first time, you would move yourself out of the center. And you would put me, Kiros, in the center. And then it would become Christ-centered. Come on now. There's nothing wrong with power unless it's disconnected from God's purpose. There's nothing wrong with money unless it's disconnected from God's purpose. There's nothing wrong with sex unless it's disconnected from God's purpose. And when it's just about me, money, when it's just about me, power, when it's just about me, my dreams, then it's all going downhill. But if I put Christ in the center and say this about your dreams, your prayers, I'm going to look at the world through the lens of who Jesus is. Come on now. When it's me, I see that poor man there eating out of the garbage. I don't want nothing to do with him. He's smelly. He's nasty. I want to be by the president and the governor because they make me feel important. That's looking at the world through my lens. But when Christ becomes the sinner, then I discover he shed his blood for this poor man eating out of the garbage. And he shed his blood for the president in the White House. And my value doesn't come from whom I'm associated with. It comes from whom I belong to. And it's his values, it's his vision that makes me love that man and love that. Come on now. It's a whole new way of looking at the world. And Jesus says, therefore, I'm the light of the world. And if you follow, you believe in me, not intellectual set, but surrender. Make my values, vision, voice, the center of your identity. Not your children, job, sex, money, power, but me. Then I'll lead you into life everlasting. And the people of God said, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate.